Hi, I'm Josh and welcome to the Wild Nature Photography Podcast, the podcast that talks the art and craft of nature photography. It's the 26th of July 2021 and this is podcast number 12. Now on this episode, I'm going to be talking about how to choose the right ship for a polar-based photography expedition. Now this is something that comes up in conversation quite a bit with other photographers uh, when I'm traveling on workshops or expeditions around the world. And I've been asked many times and I've been lecturing, you know, what are some of the considerations that you should take into account if you're looking at doing a ship-based expedition? So we're going to talk about that today on this podcast and I'll look at addressing what uh, what other decisions that you need to make because there are actually many facets to this crystal uh, and it's important to understand what they are because they all have a have significant impact on, on um, the sort of experience you're going to have. So that's the topic of today, how to choose the right ship-based photography expedition for an expedition to the polar regions. So choosing uh, the right expedition, is it is a bit of a minefield if it's your first time traveling to the polar regions. So this podcast is specifically going to talk about polar region expeditions, although many of the facets that I'm going to talk about today actually apply regardless of where you're traveling. So there's a lot of places where what might seem the smarter logical choice at first blush will actually end up resulting in a suboptimal experience if photography is your primary goal. Now, choosing a large luxury cruise liner will certainly secure you a wonderful luxury experience, but it does come the cost at the cost of significant photographic opportunities. Uh, and we'll talk about what those are. So one of the first decisions you're going to have to make after you decide whether you want to go to the Arctic or Antarctic is, are you going to choose a dedicated photography expedition or a mixed tourist trip? And what are the differences between the two? Because they are very, very different. So perhaps the best place to start is by defining the differences between what is a dedicated trip and what is a mixed trip. So a dedicated trip is almost always a full ship charter. So the photography leader or leaders have chartered the entire vessel for the sole purpose of putting on a photographic expedition. The emphasis of the expedition and the main drive is always going to be photography and to provide its participants the most optimal experience for photography. Meal times are moved around to accommodate the best light of the day and locations are cho chosen based on prevailing weather and the best possible photographic experience. Uh, time ashore is always optimised for light and conditions and you're likely to get far longer ashore than you might on a regular tourist trip. So on a dedicated trip such as this, you can expect to be rubbing shoulders with other like-minded individuals who share the same passion as you. And usually they have a lot of respect for what you do because they it's what they do as well. And their shared passion is, um, is a great thing. So by contrast, a mixed trip is a general tourist trip that might have a small specialized photography group along for the ride. And that group might be anywhere from two or three to perhaps eight, 10, 12, or even 16 or more. Now, this small group will try and operate as an independent unit, uh, but ultimately it's subject to the whims of the expedition leader and not the photography leader, and the results are usually suboptimal and not, not very pretty, to be honest. So I think it's important to be clear at this point, before I get sort of too much farther with this, that any ship-based photography workshop or expedition you choose to participate in will be a serious compromise if it's not solely dedicated to photography and guided by an experienced photographer who has control of the charter vessel. That's really the critical element. You need to have someone whose mission, if you like, is photography and who has control of the charter vessel. Because the problem with mixed photographer and general tourist expeditions is that the photography on those trips is always classed as a poor second cousin. It doesn't really matter how good your photography leader might be. Their hands are going to be tied by the expedition leader who will without doubt put the needs of the many ahead of the needs of the few. 
So in other words, you could expect your time in the field photographing to be severely curtailed by the needs of general tourists on board, who will no doubt want to keep their meal times in line with their regular home dining habits and be back on board in time for afternoon tea and scones. Now, I've seen this myself firsthand, and it's really not uh, not beneficial for photographers. Now, the expedition leader on these sort of trips will always work his or her daily timetable around set meal times and is unlikely to allow your photography guide and small group to conduct special excursions for photography during the best light of the day. In fact, you're unlikely to even have your own dedicated Zodiac, and I'll come to Zodiacs a little bit later in this podcast. Uh, Usually, the expedition leaders like to have everyone safely back on board prior to dinner and then use the best light of the day to steam to a new location. Now, you might get lucky and score one or two good photographic uh, opportunities on a mixed trip, but seriously, who wants to travel halfway around the world at vast expense and hope to get lucky? Uh, It's much better to uh, plan properly and have a better result. So now, in additional consideration um, to the selection of a mixed or dedicated trip is the question of photographic etiquette. So photographers who are passionate about their craft are far less likely to walk in front of you when you're photographing because they are acutely aware of how much they hate it when it happens to them. Now, by comparison, general tourists often walk around with their head in the clouds and won't think twice about stepping in front of you and your carefully planned composition. Now, if you do decide to travel on a mixed trip, you can fully expect to have to spend quite a bit of time shooing tourists away from your shooting location. Now, part of the problem is that tourists are attracted to tripods like flies are to manure. I've personally set up a tripod alone in a remote location many times, only to find myself surrounded by tourists who are all trying to emulate my composition on their phones. I've even had tourists step in front of me and destroy the foreground snow I was trying to include during a workshop to Lofoten in winter a few years ago. It's not a pleasant experience, and it will frustrate you if serious photography is your goal. Now, uh, in addition to all of that, general tourists usually only care about getting a few snapshots at best and they get bored after 30 minutes or so ashore and they want to return to the ship for tea or coffee. Now, photographers prefer to spend as much time as they can ashore in order to maximize their experience and, you know, the photographic session. So on a mixed trip, it's not uncommon for photographers to be told off by the expedition leader and, you know, almost proverbially drag kicking and screaming back to the ship because pretty much everybody else is finished and wants to move on to another location. Now, that's extremely frustrating to have to return to the ship when conditions are ideal because the majority of your fellow tourists were bored or cold or really didn't care about your photography. So slowing down and having ample time ashore is critical to a great photographic result. You know, again, you don't want to travel halfway around the world at significant expense and be told you only have 30 minutes ashore because the chef wants to serve lunch for everybody else. So these are all very important things to take into consideration. Uh, when you're choosing your the trip uh, type of trip that you're going to have rather because whether it's dedicated or mixed is going to have a very significant impact on the type of trip and opportunities that you have now if you're serious about your photography and you want to have the best possible photographic experience then I strongly recommend you choose an expedition that caters to photographers and not a mixed expedition where you might be part of a small photographic group that is expected to coexist with a larger number of tourists Now, if you do choose uh, a mixed trip, just be warned, tourists are likely to consider you oddballs on board, uh, and, you know, they'll even go out of their way to make life less less than optimal for you. Uh, It's unfortunately human nature to ostracize and exclude those we see as different, and I've experienced this sort of behavior, and, and again, it's not very pleasant. So mixed trips, you know, sometimes we don't really have a choice depending on where you're going. There might be no other alternative but a mixed trip, but just be aware that it is a compromise. The next consideration, really, when you're looking at choosing an expedition, 
to the polar regions is the right ship. So the right ship has a very significant impact on the type of uh, experience you're going to have. Uh, outside of the photography leader on your next ship-based trip, the choice of ship will have very, very significant impact. So how do you go about choosing the right ship? Well, I think the first consideration is passenger numbers uh, and how, does, how many passengers can the vessel accommodate. Now, typically, you want to travel and photograph with as few people as possible. The more people on board, the more chance that they're going to get in the way of your photograph. So you can imagine being ashore in Antarctica with 99 other people all wearing high visibility yellow jackets, all trying to photograph the same rookery of penguins. Not a very pleasant experience and really not an immersion into polar nature photography. Um, additionally, the more participants, the less time you'll have access to your photographic leader. Now, that may or may not uh, matter depending on your experience, but for some people, that's a big factor, you know, if they're there to learn and they want to spend time with their leader. Now, ultimately, the number of passengers is a bit of a balancing act between not too many and the right number for social interaction after the shoot, because part of the joy of any photography expedition is the post-shoot social gathering. So that happens in the bar or lecture room or somewhere on the ship that's comfortable. Because part of the wonderful thing about sharing a trip like this is that you're sharing it with like-minded individuals and having shared experiences is, is a lot of fun. Now, in Antarctica, most vessels operating are able to accommodate well over 100 people. Uh, that's uh, a lot of people to have to share a um, photographic experience with. And in my opinion, it's just too many people for a serious photographic expedition. Now, IATO, which is the International Antarctic Treaty Organization, they have special rules in place in Antarctica that have to be followed, including a landing limit of not more than 100 people at a time. Now, that 100 people includes guides. So if you've chosen a ship that takes more than 100 people on board, You'll have to wait your turn to go ashore and you might be getting quite frustrated if the light or conditions are optimal. So basically, on a ship with more than 100 people, you're likely to have very little time ashore in Antarctica and that means missed opportunities. So my recommendation for Antarctica is that you look for a ship that carries less than 100 passengers and ideally somewhere around 50 is about the sweet spot for an Antarctic expedition. Uh, anything less than 50 and you have to either look at sailing boats and then not a lot of fun to cross the Drake Passage in or a high-end luxury ship charter. And that, they, you know, that could easily run a group of 10 photographers somewhere between $25,000 and $35,000 per person for a 10-day trip. So a very expensive way to go. Of course, if you've got the wallet for it, it's a fantastic thing to be able to do. Now, in the Arctic, uh, there are, there's a much more broader choice of ships uh, than that offered in Antarctica. Part of the reason for that is we just don't have to cross the Drake Passage in the Arctic, so things are a little bit easier. And it's much easier to find a vessel that accommodates less than 30 people. Now, depending on the nature of the Arctic expedition, my recommendation would be perhaps somewhere between 12 and 20 is close to ideal for an Arctic, Arctic trip. The real problem with large numbers of people on an Arctic expedition is that someone is far more likely to call out an excitement and scare away an approaching polar bear. I mean, general tourists are a disaster around polar bears. Uh, and if you've chosen a mixed trip in the Arctic, to be honest, your chances of having a great encounter with a polar bear are pretty slim. Um, if you have a good photography leader, they should be giving briefings anyway on board to how to behave around wildlife. But really, it only takes one tourist to forget and call out an excitement and the polar bear will turn turn away and and be gone and you'll never see it again. So you certainly want to avoid avoid that uh, wherever you, wherever possible. Now, another consideration when you're looking at an expedition to the poles is ice class. So obviously this applies to polar expeditions only, but 
uh, certain vessels will have a class of ice associated with them. Now, ideally, you want to uh, a ship with the highest possible ice class that you can find, but not an actual icebreaker. Icebreakers tend to roll around a bit in open water. They're not very comfortable ships to be on. But um, not all ships are built to an ice class. So building a ship to an ice class means it's going to have a thicker hull. It's going to have more scantlings in place. Uh, it's going to have stronger protection around the propeller, uh, this sort of thing. So and, and basically, if you've got a ship with a good ice class, the captain will be able to take the ship into the ice and you'll be able to have a fantastic experience. You'll be able to get closer to wildlife. You'll be able to go areas that other ships can't get to. Uh, and the captain will even be able to uh, push ice out of the way. Now, the ability, as I say, the ability to navigate into ice will allow you to get closer to icebergs and wildlife and it will greatly increase your photographic opportunities. So my recommendation is that if you're considering a ship-based expedition to the Arctic or Antarctic, that you should discount any vessel that is, doesn't have a good ice class. Um, it's a question you can easily ask of whoever's running the trip. Just say, you know, could you please tell me what ice class is the vessel? Is it capable of going into pack ice? Now, ships with stabilizers are a bit of a double-edged sword because although ships with stabilizers can be more comfortable in rough seas, usually they can't go into the ice because the stabilizers are quite fragile and easily damaged. So just keep that in mind as well. Um, when you're looking at the ship, uh, the other consideration, of course, is deck space. Uh, I wouldn't sacrifice ice class passenger numbers or a dedicated trip for ice for deck space. Perhaps the best way to think of deck space is, is icing on the cake. It's really nice to have but you don't need to have that much of it to have a fantastic experience. Um, if you've made good decisions about the type of expedition, the number of passengers, the ice class of your vessel, the chances are your trip leader will have already taken deck space into consideration. Uh, it's good to have different level decks to shoot from. You know, high decks for landscape and, and low decks for wildlife is always optimal. The main consideration, though, is simply that there's enough deck space for everybody. You just want to avoid being crammed into a narrow space or you know, having to be two or three photographers deep, that's not ideal. So, um, and watch out for ships that have closed bows or sterns because that will very much limit your options for photography. And, and then the bow of the ship is one of the best places to photograph from when you're cruising through pack ice. So you definitely want to have that option. Um, one of the other considerations, or one of the last considerations rather, I think that you need to look at is Zodiacs. Now, Zodiacs are the small rubber boats that you use to cruise around icebergs to approach wildlife in. And you really need to make sure that the ship you've chosen has sufficient Zodiacs for everybody on board at the same time. So typically you can fit about eight to 10 photographers into a Mark V Zodiac uh, with their equipment uh, and still be quite comfortable and have room to work. Uh, so if you're on a 50-person vessel, you're going to need at least five or six Zodiacs to provide an optimal experience. And usually the captain wants to keep at least one in reserve for emergencies. So just have a look at the, how many Zodiacs are aboard each ship as well, because you, you certainly don't want to have to wait your turn to get out and cruise around the ice. You need to be out there uh, for as long as you possibly can. And of course, the last consideration is your leaders and guides. Um, this is an important area to do your research. Try and find out what sort of experience your leaders and guides have in the polar regions. Um, it's critically important, really, that your your leader especially has experience working with photographers in the polar regions uh, and that they understand the needs and requirements of those photographers. Now, on board, you'll have an expedition leader who's in charge of daily operations, and they're going to make all the decisions pertaining to shore landings and Zodiac cruises. Uh, but the expedition leader will be liaising with your photography guide on a dedicated trip, and they should be working together as a team. 
So you absolutely must have an expedition leader who's willing to shift meal times to ensure you can be out, you know, during the best light of the day. It's it's no good if you're being forced to be back on back on board for dinner when that's the best light of the day and, and when wildlife is most active. So, I mean, typically in the polar regions, usually early in the morning and late in the afternoon are the best times or even into the evening, depending on how far north or south you are. Uh, so your photographic guide should be liaising with your expedition leader to make sure you get those opportunities. Now, it's with uh, someone who's got not only experience in the polar regions, but is prepared to put their camera down and help you as well, because that's part of the experience. So they're going to have as much uh, success, uh, much bearing on the success of the expedition as the ship you choose to travel on. So give some thought to your photography leader and your expedition leader as well. Um, and you know, you should have a fantastic trip. Now, whether it's your first time or you're, um, a polar veteran, um, you know, take a few minutes and just have a think about all of these decisions because if you do a bit of research beforehand and you make smart choices about your next polar photography expedition, you will have far more photographic opportunities. And as a result, you will produce a better portfolio of work from that trip. So, uh, it's very important to get these things right and give yourself the best possible chance and opportunity. So I hope that's helped address the issue of how you go about choosing a ship-based polar photography expedition because there are a lot of considerations there. And I will do a written blog post on this as well, I think. I think it's good to have this as a guide that people can refer to in the future as well. So I'll pop that up on my blog and then I'll probably put a PDF up of it as well with a link from my website. So that's it. That'll do us for today. I'm Josh. It has been the 26th of July, 2021, and I look forward to seeing you out in the field.